Hey, good to uh, worship with you all, and I want to thank our worship team for leading us uh, so well on these uh, meaningful songs. And um, we get to a text today um, that talks about the end is better than the beginning. It's this idea of finishing, right? Um, right now, it's kind of graduation season, right? And you see all these um, people graduating. And, you know, I got two graduations coming up in our family. I got eighth grade and 12th grade. And um, we celebrate finishes because there is something accomplished. You don't have a, you know, a ceremony for someone who starts something or gets into it. We, in our society, we value someone who wraps things up, finishes well. And we have parties for them where we recognize that they have finished well. And here is the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about the end. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. It's better to finish something. It's better to accomplish something. You know, one of my favorite TV shows these days is the show Shark Tank. So, you know, a lot of you probably know about it, but the entrepreneurs come and they give a pitch to these five uh, sharks or these uh, rich business, successful businessmen and women. And so they will give a pitch and they will say, well, will you take it or not? And it's interesting because they come in and they come with some good ideas and some bad ideas. One, uh, um, like a good little clever idea I saw that uh, not that long ago was this guy came up with an invention and it goes in between your car seat and the kind of the armrest. You know, and we all drop our phones and change and french fries and it kind of blocks it. It's just something so basic. And they said, oh, that's basic and, you know, that's such a great idea and it's in Walmart and things like that. There was one that was a bad idea. The guy came up with a hat that's uh, made out of towel cloth and he says, for guys, when you wake up and your hair is sticking up, you wet this and you put it on your head and then it makes your hair go down. It's like, and they just, you know, blasted him and kicked him off, right? They said, it's a joke. But that is interesting because what matters is the opinion of those who, seat, uh, who sit on those big leather seats, you know, the ones that are the success stories, the ones that have finished it, basically. So their opinion matters. If they say that's bad, then it's probably going to be bad. If they say, boy, your strategy's wrong, or they say, We're, you know, it's not worth that much, their opinion matters, not the ones who are beginning. The entrepreneurs are the ones who are just starting. They don't know. And so it, it really, we in our culture, we know that those who finish, those who accomplish something, are worth listening to. They have wisdom. Um, it's better. They've accomplished something. And here, this is what the writer is saying. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Um, it's interesting because this is not just about self-help. This is not just about a relational thing or work. But this is really our faith. This is talking about our walk with God. This is talking about how we treat our family. This is how we work at our work. This is all tied in. It's a spiritual act. And it's interesting because, you know, God himself is described always as the alpha and the omega. He's the end, right? Even in our relationship, over and over, the Bible talks about how he is there with us till the end, right? Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's quoted from Deuteronomy 31.6. Um, and he will never leave you nor forsake you at the end. And so it's this picture of God who is with us till the end. Uh, the writer of Psalm 23 at the end, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So God is there till the end. God is faithful till the end. And he tells us now, you need to have that sense of what the word I wanted to use was stick to -itiveness. 
I had to look up that word, make sure it was a real word, right? Like stick to itiveness, and then I had to look it up to make sure I spelt it right. Um, the idea that you are going to stick to something. And we value that in our world today. There's been studies done by sociologists and psychologists on what makes a person successful, what's a predictor of success, and they all point to this idea of stick to itiveness. Uh, the book by Angela Duckworth that came out talking about her math class at elementary school, a predictor of which kids are going to succeed and which ones aren't. It wasn't about who started well. It wasn't about those who were now uh, talented or gifted. It was those who are willing to grit, have grit through all of these things. And so we learned this, you know, uh, um, at Florida State, there's Kay Anders Erickson's famous study on what he calls the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. If you can have 10,000 hours and you deliberately practice your craft, you will be an expert at it. And so there are all these studies that prove what we already know from the ancient book in the Bible. That the end of it, that getting to the end is better. That we finish this and it is better. And when it comes to our relationships, and when it comes to our relationship with our church, our family, and those at work, and those are the three areas God has called all of us to, that we are called to go there. We are called to be a part of it. And when it comes to those relationships, we have to have a sense of stick to and say, I will be there. I am called by God to be here. Uh, it's interesting, you know, there's a book by Robert Putnam titled Bowling Alone. And this is one of many books that talks about the uh, epidemic today of kind of just loneliness in our society. With all this technology, we are somewhat connected, but we are lonely. And in this book, Bowling Alone, he talks about the benefits of people being in community. He says, people divorced from community, occupation, and association are first and foremost among the supporters of extremism. You have no one to bounce your ideas off of. You have no one to learn from, to grow from. Um, and so when you are by yourself and you are no longer attached to others, you get extreme ideas. And so the Bible tells us, boy, the end. Better is the end of a thing. Better is to now finish what you have started, the task that God has given to you. And today we look at that and we can agree to that. Uh, but yet, at the same time, there are things that come up in our lives that uh, kind of go against these things, right? What keeps us from becoming a person who has this stick to attribute? The opposite of that, we could say, is flaky, right? Um, there's an article in the New York Post that came out not that long ago, and it talks about now this, that we are a generation of people who are flaky, right? Um, and they did a study, and they studied the uh, website Evites, you know, that we all use, and they used the statistics from that to come up with some conclusions. They said that 45% of millennials today, uh, they don't see anything wrong with just flaking. Like, it's kind of a, you know, a societal norm nowadays. Oh, well, hey, uh, sorry, I can't make it. And now that we are so accustomed to it, we take the excuse and we say, oh, well, they can't make it. 45% say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And the excuses go from, oh, you know, um, 
you know, there were some excuses that were given, like, uh, I just didn't want to be with the people there. Um, I didn't feel like it. I was tired and so on. Um, they say that on Evite, 46% of people who respond to that, um, that there's a 46% uh, flaking, uh, you know, uh, people that will flake. 46%. So they'll say yes and they'll flake. 46%. And you think about that. That people, and we as people who say yes and no, or yes be yes or no be no, as the Bible tells us, say I'm going to be there, we should be there. Especially when it comes with human beings. And they said what is bad about this is the repercussions of this. It impacts now relationships. And people say when they've been flaked on at least three times by the same person, uh, they are not likely to ever invite them to anything. Uh, it affects their friendships. They say now we're no longer friends. And so you can imagine a society where people go, quote unquote, bowling alone because everyone around them seems to be undependable, flaky. We're called to be people who are there from the beginning till the end. Our yes be yes, our no be no. Um, and I think this is so important. And the things that get in the way of us finishing well, our faith, our work, our family, to finish well, there are certain hindrances that's mentioned in our text, and I want to highlight three of them. Uh, the first one is our pride, which is opposite of patience. Patience and pride are mentioned in the same sentence there in verse 8. And the patient in spirit is better than the patient and proud. It is pride that says, well, I deserve better than this. It is pride that says, and Satan will whisper in her ear, who do they think they are? Don't they know who you are? You are so much more important. And pride will sneak up on us. And what pride does is it gets rid of our patience. It's interesting, in the original language, one of the commentators points out that it literally will say that verse, in verse 8, the second part, better is length in spirit than height of spirit. And those two phrases, length in spirit, talks about a person who is now, hey, who is patient, who is long-suffering. They have length in their spirit. Versus height in spirit is someone who is proud. Um, uh, someone who is, uh, has a proudful, uh, prideful spirit and, and it spikes up once in a while. It is the patient person uh, who will get to the end, obviously. And we have to learn patience with ourselves, with others. It's interesting, you know, I get, um, over the years, I've gotten so many uh, uh, resumes from people uh, and these are younger pastors or seminarians. Who, and, and there are some, I mean, they're well prepared. And I remember getting one, and it was like five pages long. And this person had been everywhere. And I was like, wow, that's so much experience for someone who is in, still in their 20s, you know? It was like, wow. But it was like kind of every year, year and a half, I'm done. Every two years, I'm done. Um, Where is the sense of patience being with people? You know, my... Uh, personal mentor, Pastor Corey Ishida, who's preached at our church a couple of times. Some of you remember him, and he did our marriage conference last year. Um, he retired a couple of weeks ago, and I got invited to his luncheon. And he had spent 43 years at their church, at Evergreen Church. And so there was all these slideshows and videos of him uh, 43 years ago, you know, it, uh, it looks, you know, and the way he looked, and it was funny, and, you know. But it is interesting, because... Um, 
it, it was so well planned out. And there was like 1,800 people there, but it was so well planned out. So they're sending us instructions on how to get there, what to do. And uh, they said, okay, this time, during these uh, few minutes, they had a picture time. And they said, okay, th this will be a picture time for those of you who were on staff. And you must come up at, you know, 11.52. I mean, it was down to like not even five-minute increments, but by the minute. And a family in 11.54. And, you know, it was like a wedding, right, basically. And one of the pictures that he had was those who were with him 43 years ago and still till now, we're going to take a picture. And that was an impressive picture. There was only a handful of people. But they kind of walked together serving the church. And that church started, it was like 20 people. After the whole uh, Japanese internment camps, they came back, lost everything, and they kind of rebooted this church. And they, would get to, and they would get together. I thought, man, that's, that's a faithful group of people. There's a lot of patience in there um, that they were able to go through this all together. I thought that was a, a part of that that just inspired me even more. Um, the second part of this is interesting. The second thing that could hinder us finishing well is our temperament or our anger. We have to watch our anger so carefully. Now there is righteous anger. Jesus was angry. God was angry at sin. Yeah, there's righteous anger. But there, when there, it's just sinful anger. It looks like this. It says in verse 9, it talks about two types of angers. A quick temper and a bitterness, right? It says, uh, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. So there's two types of anger here. The first one is the person who is quick in your spirit to become angry. Someone who has a short temper, a short fuse. They can't handle this. And uh, they get angry. And the second thing is it says, uh, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And it stays there. And this is talking about bitterness. Where something had happened and we haven't let go or processed through it. And we just hold it here. You know, I, talk, I hear from some people, they say, boy, you know, I had a bad church experience um, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. So, I, so every church is just bad, or I'm not going to go, it's just bad. You know, I'm done with it. And I said, how can you, from your experience when you were 22 years old, now keep that all the way till in your 40s, in your 30s, in your 50s? How can you hold on to that? That's bitterness. And it keeps us from finishing well of what God has called us to do. Um, it's interesting, you know, you think about this, uh, this concept of holding our anger, controlling our anger. There's a story that illustrates this so well. There's a, a musician, an African-American musician named Daryl Davis, and I read about his story. Um, the fascinating thing about Daryl was not that he was such a good musician, but he had this patience and winsome way of talking, and he befriended over 200 KKK members over his lifetime. And he won them over where they gave up their gown and they would give it to him. That's a remarkable story. First of all, the anger that he would have had, we could argue, yeah, it was righteous anger. And he could have been vindictive, but he somehow, instead of now being angry and hateful, he wanted to educate. And so he started befriending uh, these KKK members. He said a lot of them weren't educated. A lot of them didn't know. They weren't exposed to people. So once they realized, boy, that they were wrong, they'd say, you know what, I'm going to leave the KKK. And when they would decide that, he would ask them now for um, their robe. He says, let me have your robe. 
So in his home, he has 200 robes of 200 KKK members that have left that hateful uh, organization. The first one he talks about in an interview, and I think this is, uh, it's, it's, it's just so well said, and it's, it's funny in a way. He met a guy once uh, while he was playing, and the guy came up and said, oh, man, your you know, music's so good, and, you know, um, and, and so they start talking. The guy was part of the KKK years back. And so he befriends them, and they start talking about music, and they spend some time together. And once they, get, once they got comfortable, the KKK member says to him, he says, well, um, we all know, right? And they had all these myths that they believed in, that they were taught. And he said, well, you know, we all know that all black people have within them a gene that makes them violent, right? And uh, Daryl, who, who looks at him and says, well, wait a minute, I'm black, and I've never killed anyone or hijacked a car or done a drive-by, so how do you explain that? And this KKK member looks at him and says, well, yeah, that's because your, your violence gene, it's latent, it's sitting down, so it's not happening. So he paused and he said he looked over and the KKK guy uh, almost had a smug look of like, oh yeah, see, I proved them right. So he paused um, and then he said to him, he goes, well, you know um, what they say, right, about white people. And he said, well, what? He goes, well, all white people have a serial killer gene inside of them, right? <laughs> and he says, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, look at all the serial killers, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, Charles Manson, uh, John Wayne Gracie, you know, they, it's, all, it was, it's in there. He goes, I never killed anyone. He goes, well, because that serial killer gene is still latent inside of you, right? <laughs> um, and he wins him over. This was the first guy he wins over. And he says, I was wrong. And they go and they pick up his uh, robe, his KKK robe, and he now keeps this. But I, I thought about, wow, that's impressive. But think for a moment. The anger that must have been there. The anger from what happened to him or what happened to his mom or his you know, family or the things he sees, the anger and the ignorance that was coming out, he would have probably responded, and a lot of us would have responded, not in kindness or words, but maybe with violence, with our anger. But it is the control of his anger that we see this man, Daryl Davis, winning over 200 people from the KKK to now leave that lie. And so we have to now control this. We have to say, somehow, God help me to now control these things. Whether it is a short temper or whether it is a, a deep-seated bitterness that's lasting a long time, help me, God, to control these things. And the third thing that keeps us from finishing well, that loses, that we lose our stick to is this lack of vision. We're always looking back. We're never looking forward. And it says here in verse 10, right? And this is what he says. Say not, don't say this. Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom you asked us. Anyone, all of us, as we get a little bit older, we catch ourselves saying this at times. Boy, it was way better back in the day. Life was so much better back in the day. Oh, my experience back then was so much better. Oh, my old work was so much better than my new job. Oh, man, church when I was little was so much better than it is now. People are so much nicer. And we go back to the days of old because we don't look forward. And we just are looking at our problems right now. And often we look backwards. And you think about who are the people that did this. It was the Israelites. 
They were freed from slavery with Moses leading them. And when they get out into freedom, they say, oh, we want to go back. We miss this. And they start complaining. Why? It's not because, uh, it's because they were not looking to the finish line of being in the land that God had promised them. They were just looking at their current situation. And I want to encourage us to be people who are always looking forward with some kind of a vision. To look forward to say, what do I have to do? You know, there's a, a fun little story about a donkey. Um, this farmer, his donkey falls into this um, uh, well. And it's, it's kind of a deep well and it's fallen in and they try, they can't reach the donkey. And the donkey is struggling. And so what they decide to do is, well, they say, well, we have to now um, try to, you know, Let's just kill this donkey so the donkey doesn't suffer. So he calls all his uh, neighbors over and they get shovels and say, let's just start burying the donkey. And on the outside, they think they're burying the donkey. They want to cover up the donkey. But this donkey looks at it and says, oh my gosh, they're trying to save my life. And so the donkey, every time there's a, a dirt comes in, it packs it down, 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 and then the donkey just thank you and jumps out of this well, right? And how we look at it, the perspective we have on this. You know, God wants us to be faithful till the day we go home to be with him. He wants us to have a trust in him in the gospel until the day we are there. Those of you who God has given kids to, he wants you to raise that child to the best of your ability. Not so much for anything else, but first and foremost that they would grow up to be godly young men and women. The thing that I do in our marriage premarital counseling. One of our sessions that we have is, what is the vision for your marriage? And I have them talk. I see 15 years from now, 20 years from now, what do you want it to look like? And that's really the funnest time that we have. And some of you, we, we've done this, right? And, uh, you know, the guy writes stuff and they write things. And I say, I want you to talk about it, be as specific as possible so your visions match. And so when you are going through maybe something that is difficult, something that you think is not going the right way, you still have the same vision. And so people will say, oh, you know, I want to, you know, it's really specific. I, I want like a, you know, four-bedroom house, you know, and, and I want, you know, a dog. And, you know, people talk about all sorts of things. I, I want all my cousins to live nearby, you know, and the guy's like, no, you know, and the, they, they, they talk about all of these things. Uh, but we talk about it so that we have something to shoot towards and how important it is for us not to look back always with our selective memory, say, boy, it was good old days. Man, it was way better back then. But no, he says, don't even say that. If you want to get to the end, you have to know that there is a finish line and you have to run towards that. We, we have a vision, all of us, as a people of God, we have a vision that is worth dying for, it's worth living for. To live out the gospel and to share the gospel. It's worth dying for. And somehow to build up a church so people could come and hear the gospel and live in this gospel community. It is worth us now putting our efforts into. And I think back about when we um, started our second site at Irvine. And we sent out, and this was a, a kind of a God-given dream that we had. Boy, we wanted to impact Orange County and uh, start this multi-site so we could reach more people. And we had to say goodbye to... Uh, 30-some people who left to go. Some of them were very dear. Some of them were very faithful. And a lot of people here are saying, oh my gosh, uh, who's going to do the work that they were doing? They were so faithful. 
They were good leaders. And those who left were saying the same things. Oh, how are we going to get by without those back at Brea who did so much? You know, I just came back from there. And there's more faces at Irvine that I don't recognize or are newer than there are those who first went. And I can't imagine, man, if we didn't go and somehow obey God's call and fill that place, man, we would have missed out. God has given us a vision to keep fighting the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. And so I want to encourage you. Don't let the word flaky uh, describe you at all. Be a person who is faithful till the end. Be a person, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, The important things in life that God has given to you, it is far more important that we end it that you will be there till the end. And it is to just start. Anyone could start something. But it is better to end. And we think of, and I wrap up with this thought, you know, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ and the words he said on the cross, it is finished. He finished it. Our salvation is set. It's guaranteed. Doesn't matter what we do. It's guaranteed. It's already done. And the God who now um, plans our salvation history in this way, tells us to live it out. And so we're going to be faithful as long as we can. And we're going to now look for the end before we get excited about new beginnings. We're going to fight from getting bored so easily and remember the vision that we have, the vision that's worth dying for, worth living for, the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out in my life, how important that is. So I pray for us that we would not be flaky in all that we do, but that we would have a stick to and that God would grant us that ability to do so uh, because he deserves us being there uh, till the end. Uh, with that, let's close in prayer together. So Lord, we take this to heart. A simple phrase, better to see the end of all things than just the beginning, God. Uh, our wandering hearts often, we, we want to start new things. We want to um, look for greener pastures. Uh, we want to drop the things you've given to us. But God, whether it is our work, the relationships with our family, um, our um, church family, God, these things you've given to us. So we want to now have a sense of stick to We want to be faithful. We want to be there. So would you teach us what that is like? We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.